In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, is that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Cardinal John Henry Newman. Now, Saint John Henry Newman was an Anglican priest in England who was born at the very beginning of the 19th century and died in 1890. So he spans practically the whole 19th century, especially the Victorian era in England. He had become quite uh, passionate, uh, passionately drawn to the high church tradition of Anglicanism, and he became one of the most notable leaders of the uh, Oxford movement, which was a group of Anglicans that got together and wanted to return to the Church of England's uh, many Catholic beliefs. Many of them had been abandoned and forgotten, especially he was drawn to the liturgical rituals of Catholicism, especially as it was before the English Reformation in the 16th century. And though he was especially conflicted about the Mass, he wasn't 100% sure if the Mass that he was celebrating was even, was even valid, since he began to doubt whether the Anglican Church had apostolic uh, succession or apostolic continuity. And he did love the Anglican choral tradition where they would sing and, and, and pray the Vespers and the breviary, but he was especially drawn to the real presence. And so in the, in the realm of the liturgy itself, he was staunchly opposed to any ritual modifications modernizations that were supposed to be designed to be closer to the people or find people where they're at and uh, he really he was really quite moved at the sacred nature of the liturgy how it could touch the soul just by the by the beauty of the liturgy the language the songs the incense and for him the mass was really a point of connection to the past but especially to the souls of the well, of the souls that lived in the past but that are now in heaven even in particular with the souls in purgatory and he felt so attracted to the mass especially its timeless nature the timeless nature of the ritual that he really saw it as a reality that was alive throughout the ages. In one of his sermons, which I found recently, he said, did Saint Athanasius or Saint Ambrose come suddenly to life? If they had come suddenly tonight to life, it cannot be doubted what communion they would have 
taken to be their own. All surely will agree that these fathers, with whatever opinions of their own, whatever protests, he will find themselves more at home with such men as St. Bernard or St. Ignatius of Loyola, or with a lonely priest in his lodging, or the Holy Sisterhood of Mercy, or the unlettered crowd before the altar than with the teachers or with the members of any other creed. See, he saw now the unity of the church through the prism of the sacred liturgy, through the prism in particular of the Mass, how there was a continuity there. No matter who you were at Mass, whether you were St. Ignatius or St. Bernard or any other average Joe. And that's why it's always important for us, you and I who go to Mass every day, I celebrate every day, you assist at Mass, you receive communion, that we, we get a deep sense of the efficacious nature of the holy sacrifice of the altar. That really, when we go to Mass, we are, in a mysterious way, present at the, at, at the sacrifice of the cross, at, that we are present at Calvary. And rather than simply remembering the life and death of Christ like a kind of a, a souvenir, we are present at it. We, are, we partake of the eternal fruits which flow to us from that altar. When this, the priest stands there in the place of Christ and we are praying together with Christ to God the Father and when he offers the eternal victim on the altar to God it's, it's the most sacred moment really in our life and we receive grace by partaking of the Holy Eucharist and in particular of course if we're in the state of grace and since the Mass is truly the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it is really the most perfect prayer and the most perfect sacrifice. That's probably what, what drew Cardinal Newman so deeply to the sacrifice of the Mass. And that means that there's nothing more glorious that we can offer to God on behalf of the suffering souls in purgatory, where we apply the fruits of the sacrifice to them. And that's what we do today on the Feast of All Souls or the memorial of all the, the faithfully departed, those who have gone to sleep and are waiting for the resurrection. And they're still being purified of their sins, of their limitations. And what a beautiful thing it is for us to feel connected to those holy souls, the holy souls in purgatory, that are on the way to heaven, but they're not there yet. They still need to be purified. They're not condemned. They're not damned. They're just in the process of happily being purified. And we participate in that purification by the way we unite ourselves to the holy sacrifice of the cross. It's really a miraculous value that is the Holy Mass. And of course, we know it's well documented by the saints and you know, who, ins who God inspired with many writings. Some of them had visions. 
Padre Pio said to somebody, my son, if men only knew the value of the Holy Mass, they would be forever on their knees listening to it. If only we knew. And <clears throat> we also connect the value of our work to the Holy Mass. You know, our father used to speak about our table or our desk or the counter that we work on as, as a kind of an altar on which we offer our work. The table you work at, the counter, the ironing board is an altar. It's good that we do it well, it's good we do it with love, but it's particularly good when we unite the value of that work to the sacrifice of the cross renewed every day here in the Mass. It's, it's really the miraculous value of the Mass that we have to keep in mind and that we have to keep growing and that we never get used to it, that we never kind of fall into a kind of routine or maybe lose a sense of its supernatural nature. We can't, we can't do that. You know, Cardinal Ratzinger wrote a famous book called The Spirit of the Liturgy, and uh, he reflected deeply on the nature of the liturgy. It's a, it's a beautiful book. He called it The Spirit of the Liturgy because he was influenced by a German um, theologian. I'm not sure if he actually met him, but he was certainly close to him, and he had read all his works. His name was Romano Guardini, and... Uh, I don't think he, he would have met him, but that guy, Romano Guardini, wrote his book, also called The Spirit of the Liturgy. And so Cardinal Ratzinger like, wrote the uh, same title in homage to Romano Guardini. He also wrote, Romano Guardini wrote a beautiful book about the Lord, and, but especially he was captivated by the liturgy, kind of continuity with what had happened to Cardinal Newman. And so, Cardinal Ratziger's book, as well as Robano Guardini, is just a profound reflection on the nature of that worship, that liturgical worship, which stands today as a kind of guiding light for the renewal of worship, the renewal of prayer, the renewal of the way we celebrate um, the Holy Mass. It clarifies the underlying principles, uh, the real existential implications of our belief, when we take part in, in the Holy Eucharist. Every morning you come to the Holy Eucharist. And Romano Guardini and Cardinal Ratzinger, really, they outlined it quite beautifully. Meaning, it's not just an isolated act that is really just about our own piety. Naturally, we have to be pious, but, but it, we're tapping into something much greater, much more transcendent, because we are members of the people of God and as we sit here in our pews or, or kneel, we are involved in something very, very, very supernatural. And that means that we are taking part of something that is kind of like in a process of uh, fulfillment. It's purifying us, it's purifying the world around us. Every day we come, something is, is happening to us. Perhaps you remember some years ago, there was a guy who did a documentary about fast food in the U.S. It was called Supersize Me. And he observed how in the U.S. there was a startling number of people who are now obese and in bad health 
and many many people he said eat uh, fast food he said when he grew up he would always uh, eat at home and his mother would prepare meals every day and they were healthy and uh, so forth but now and that was the case for many people but now many many people several days a week they just eat at McDonald's and Burger King and Pizza Hut and uh, Domino's pizza and whatnot, right? and he showed the the increasing amount of, uh, of of ill health for many people, and so to prove his point, he decides to to go for I believe it was a whole month, only eating breakfast, lunch, and supper only at McDonald's. That's it, and if they offered a supersize, he would have to say yes to supersize, right? And he does a kind of a, a medical checkup before to see how he is. And of course, by the end of the month, his cholesterol is going through the roof, he's put on weight, he's feeling bad, he's, it's clear that eating all that stuff is really bad for you. It's really bad. And if we were to flip that for us, as we assist at Mass every day, for us the opposite happens. It's very good for our interior health, for our spiritual health. And for us, Cholesterol has disappeared, we're in top shape. The more we assist at Mass, spiritually speaking, doesn't really have an effect, physically speaking, unfortunately, but it does, uh, it does have an effect, uh, spiritually speaking. And uh, this is making us, in other words, truly spiritually healthy. It's a process. There's a process going on there. We're part of a wider history when we go to Mass. And one of the things Cardinal Ratzinger just explains in his book is that it all started with the worship in the temple, which Jesus had to try to straighten out when he went into the, into the temple and drove out the money changers and all the pigeons and everything. You know, it was the true temple, but it had, it had lost its, uh, you know, its sacred purpose. And um, the fathers of the church described the various stages of this fulfillment of the temple, not just the contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but that that the sacred liturgy had gone through a process of shadow, image, and then reality. The Old Testament is only a shadow of what is coming. It's all the images of the Old Testament are all just their sacrifices. You know, they offer sacrifice in the temple, but that's only like a shadow of what is really, really coming. When we get to the New Testament and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, of course, it's, it's a sacrifice, but it's not just sacrifice of bulls and lambs and, and other animals. It's really the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in an unbloody manner, reflecting the cross. So that's the image. Old Testament was the shadow. New Testament was the image. And the reality will kick in when we will be there worshipping the Lamb in heaven. Right? There, there we will see the reality. And we will see that whole process in which God redeems His people. And we have to maybe find a way to keep in mind these three levels in which the Christian worship operates. And we're in the middle level right now, right? 
or not. The Holy Mass, however sacred it is, is the most sacred it could be here on earth. But it's ultimately just an image of what will become reality one day. So that's why we call it the celestial liturgy. It's, you know, then it's really going to be coming to the fore. And there's also something of the Last Supper every time we assist at Mass. It's not exactly the same as the Last Supper because also there is, is the cross. The Last Supper on its own was when our Lord instituted the Holy Mass, but on its own it was not enough. I mean, it was only a system that our Lord had given the Apostles to bring into a reality what he was going to do the next day by being crucified on the, on, on the cross. You see, the Mass is not simply like a videotape or an acting out of Jesus, a kind of a 3D hologram of the Last Supper. There are gestures that are similar, there are words that are similar. When we say, you know, take this and eat, those are the words that Jesus said at the Last Supper but it hadn't fully come to the rea reality of the cross yet. Mm -hmm. So we, we can ask our Lord now to help us be more, more conscious of what is going on there in the Holy Mass. You know, I, I heard of a, a fellow who had been living a rather, let's say, disordered life. He had been born Catholic, but he kind of abandoned the faith and... Uh, and, uh, you know, let's say went into all the different realms of disordered life and was quite unhappy. And it, it was almost as though it, were, it was a struggle for him every day to stay alive, right? Like, he didn't really have much of an interest to stay alive. Everything, he had tried all the so-called pleasures and things of this world, and he wasn't profoundly happy. He was just, okay... I'm alive, but who cares, you know. And he told a friend of his and confided in him that he was, uh, you know, not, not very happy and uh, he had tried out everything. And uh, this friend of him told him, you know, well, why don't you go, you're Catholic, why don't you go to Mass at such and such a church next Sunday? And just go there, because this fellow had also had studied Latin, so he remembered a bit of Latin, even though he hadn't uh, read it in, in years. And so it turned out that this fellow had invited him to a Latin Mass, like a, I don't know if it was the old rite or what, but it was in Latin. And so he went there a little bit uh, passive and not quite trust, trusting at what was going to happen. He sat in the pews. He didn't understand everything. He was quite distracted. But at one point, the, there was like a hushed silence, and suddenly he could hear very clearly the words of the priest when he said, Oc est enim corpus meo. And then obviously the words of the consecration. And he felt a sudden you know, sense of being overwhelmed by God's grace, because that he did understand. The other stuff he didn't quite follow but that he knew what it was it was the consecration he understood it and he was he was right down on his knees with everybody else he said that that was like a moment of conversion for him because it was a moment a way in which the lord was saying i am here oc est enim corpus my i am here with my body i'm here for you don't be afraid 
I am not far away. This is what he, this is what he, he grasped in that moment, that God was not far away. And now, now of course he's, he's, he's become enthusiastic about the faith and now he's truly happy and on fire to be alive. He wants to be alive. He wants to be better. He wants to bring others to the fullness of the faith. And so, but we ask our Lord for that same experience and uh, ask our Lord to understand what it really means for him to be so close when we say, this is my body. Cardinal Ratzinger explains it in these very powerful words. The Lord could say that his body was, quote, given only because he had, in fact, given it. He could present his blood in the new chalice as shed for many only because he had really shed it. This body, he said, is not the ever-dead corpse of a dead man, nor is the blood the life element rendered lifeless. No. Sacrifice has become gift. For the body given in love and the blood given in love has entered through the resurrection into the eternity of love, which is stronger than death. Without the cross and the resurrection, Christian worship is null and void, and a theology of liturgy that omitted any reference to them would really just be talking about an empty game. That's why St. Paul says in today's reading from the letter of the Corinthians, you know, if Christ has not risen, we are dead in our sins. If Christ has not risen, even with the, the introduction of the Mass that he instituted, it only really comes alive because Christ is alive. And that is not simply like a like a like dead flesh or, or something like that. It's it's the living, risen body of Christ. I've had some people tell me that they 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 are they don't understand why we w- want to eat the the body of Christ. It's but of course it is the body, but it's the living living body, you know, supernatural body. And you know, there's another idea. The Cardinal Ratzinger mentions that we have to wrap our body, that, that we have to wrap our head around. That he says that the crucifixion of Christ, his death on the cross, and in another way, the act of his resurrection from the grave, which bestows incorruptibility on the corruptible, are historical events that happen just once, and as such, belong to the past. And and yet they can be brought back, the, the one cross. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why the letter to the Hebrews says that, that it happened once and for all mm-hmm. against all the multitude of sacrifices of the Old Testament. Those were just a shadow. This is an image of what is going to be in the full in, in heaven. Mm-hmm. He said, so how can we reach it now? Is it just a memory? It's really, truly made present in front of us. 
So let's ask uh, the Lord eh, for that grace eh, that we really keep making the sacrifice of the altar something alive and real. It's necessarily going to require our faith. Our Father said in Forge, keep struggling so that the holy sacrifice of the altar really becomes the center and root of your interior life. And so your whole day will turn into an act of worship, an extension of the Mass you have attended and a preparation for the next. Your whole day will then be an act of worship that overflows in aspirations, visits to the Blessed Sacrament, and the offering up of your professional work and your family life. See that everything is united under the banner of that altar Everything is brought together. Even if we, if we were not to be able to go to Mass for some reason, there are many Masses every day celebrated throughout the world, so we can unite ourselves to that, even if we were sick or something like that. Right? And it would not, like, physically Im- Im- impossible. We could still be united to the to sacrifices that are celebrated of the, of the Mass. And that's why our Father would say that it's the center and root of our interior life. Right? That is expression, the centered root, is partly came out of the Second Vatican Council, which used a slightly different expression, talked about the source and summit. Our Father said center and root, meaning you have both the source of grace, our Lord himself, and the summit of closeness to God. And um, we have to keep uh, we have to keep our faith actively engaged in this and Pope Francis has said that this is a way to keep the living faith alive from generation to generation we have to keep it alive it's not we're not receiving just some information like in a book but the living flame of faith so let's ask uh, our blessed Lord that uh, we have this uh, vibrant sense of the beauty of the faith the vibrant faith, the vibrant sense of the supernatural reality of every Mass, we assist that, and how we can do that, continue it in our daily life, in our work, in our family life, in our prayer. That's why we we do our prayer if we can here in the altar. And even if we did our prayer elsewhere, you know, we, we know that the living presence is close to us, nevertheless. We ask our, our Blessed Mother, we ask our angels that are present here at the tabernacle right, to, to really increase our faith in the real presence, a living, dynamic faith right, that we can pass on to others right, and that will allow us to be participants right, in the sacrifice of the cross. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.